Awesome Nerds, and welcome to the second episode of D&D and TV, a podcast, a rewatch podcast, where myself, Jeremy Vine, your host, and a co-host, uh, in this case, the awesome Dr. Chops, streamer extraordinaire, my good friend, Mike. Say hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Oh, he's funny too. This is why I get him on. Uh, we rewatch a show that we both really enjoy and talk about how themes and scenes from the show can be used in role-playing games. This time we're talking about Season 1, Episode 2 of Invincible. Here we go. And this episode was directed by Paul Firminger. Or Firminger. I don't know how to pronounce your name, Paul. Sorry. Uh, but also Jeff Allen and written by Simon Rassiopa. Uh, as well as... Well, it was created by Robert Kirkman and Ryan Otley and Corey Walker and a whole bunch of other people. But this um, episode is the one, well, I'll read the synopsis from IMDb, which says, With his father out of action, Mark struggles to defend the city against international invasion. I said international, didn't I? You did. You totally did. I meant I mean, interdimensional. You know, I mean, it kind of counts. It, it kind of counts. It's it still is. one nation invading another nation, like so. I guess. I mean, I mean, they may have crossed. They, they may not have crossed oceans or um, you know international date lines, but it still, I think, fits the definition of one nation invading another nation. Totally. They just they they crossed a dimensional um, a dimensional portal as opposed a dimensional to border. An ocean. Yeah. No, it is mm-hmm. an inter- interdimensional invasion, joining forces with a team of teenage superheroes. And I mean, that's, that's accurate. I'd say that's how the episode tracks. There's not, not too much more. I mean, they left out one very key element that we saw in the first episode. What, what do you reckon that is, Mike? I, I nearly called you Mark. I feel that it's got, let's hope that doesn't happen too often. <laughs> no, don't call me Mark. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've got too much facial hair to be called a Mark. Um, the mustache is pretty impressive, though. You see, so you could be a Viltramite. Oh, 100%. In terms of what they left out from the uh, first episode, key elements that they left out, hmm. Hmm. could hmm. it be the Guardians of the Globe? That's right, the Guardians of the Globe. I wonder when we'll get a recap of that. I mean, we'll actually, let's we'll start it in the recap. Let's start talking about this episode because it doesn't open with what we saw in episode you know, one. It's. This is probably a good point just to quickly mention to everybody, spoilers. Oh, Major yeah. Major spoilers. Spoilers for everything. Um, you know, we're going to talk about everything that happened. That's not technically true. I will will stop you there, Mike, because we will spoil this show. We will spoil this entire season because we want to talk about all the cool stuff that happens. We will not spoil future comics. Yeah. Gotcha. It's impossible for me to spoil future comics, but you have the power to do so. I have the power. Like a true hero. Mm -hmm. Like a true hero, you're not going to do that. That is correct. I will not spoil it for anyone. In fact, go ahead and read them. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I nearly said, if the really cool thing happens in this volume, but no, I did not spoil it because I am a hero, which is kind of... I know, right? I mean, I remember the last time something got spoiled for me. It was awful. It was a real real eye-opening experience a real wake-up call but you know who else had a wake-up call the main character of invincible that's right had to face several actual proper life or death situations in this episode and he folded like an old wallet when it i know it's great oh i love that bit it was so awesome (laughs) it's like oh yeah i'm this cool hero oh i cannot deal with this i can't I love that that's kind of what this episode does too, that it steps up. That the first one was, I'm a happy-go-lucky scamp and I, my dad is a superhero and I've got powers. And then the final, the post credit scene in that first episode where Omni-Man just beats, beats these people apart and destroys them. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, Mark suddenly steps into that world where people can die and limbs can come off and there's blood. And it's like he stepped from the 1960s comics into fucking... Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. I think that this episode was uh, was a true demonstration of... Um, okay, it's it's a very sobering experience when one comes to terms with their own mortality. Yeah. And Mark got that multiple times throughout this episode. Well, I and, don't know. Uh, I think he got a sense of mortality, like other people's mortality, but not his own. I think his own is still to come. 
Yeah, I mean, but that was the vehicle in which, uh, you know, the lesson was delivered. You know, okay, so to quickly chat about what happens in this episode, um, you know, the alien invasion. Oh, like, let's do, let's do it quick. Let's do it. Let's do the whole recap. I mean, I'm happy to talk about the whole episode. Take it away. We can go from start to finish, man. Well, let's maybe let's focus on. Uh, let, let, let's we'll talk cut about it into the three. Things, yeah. yeah, cut it into three because there are three sure, key. Sure. Uh, segments in the uh if this episode yeah. was uh a tangerine it would be a tangerine with yeah. three giant juicy slices uh and we're going to devour these slices one by one um so jeremy please um peel the tangerine and uh please okay take a big old bite at us the first slice please well i feel that the first slice isn't it's dealing with uh, the fallout from what we saw in the last episode the fallout from the Guardians being killed and no one knowing what's happened save Nolan. Mm-hmm. That this is, like, a big deal. This is the Justice League being dead. Like, what happens? How does how does everyone respond? How does Mark and Debbie, the family of Nolan, the only person to survive, and also the murderer, how do they respond to this? How does the Global Defense Agency run by Cecil, who we meet in this episode, how do they respond? And how do you respond with a superhero injured? That's, I feel like, the big core element of this. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not the core element, but that's kind of a big theme for this episode. And that's kind of where it kicks off, too. And an important thing about the universe that this comic is set in, when Darkwing and War Woman, um, whatever the names were... Darkwing. Darkwing, yeah. When these heroes died, they fucking died. They're not coming back. They're not getting resurrected or anything like that. With one notable exception, but we're not going to talk about that yet. That's right. But I wonder who that could be. <laughs> uh, but for every single one of these, I mean, bar one of the heroes whose super, whose super, you know, power is immortality. Yeah. Um, all the other ones, when they died, they fucking died, and there's no bringing them back, and yeah. it's over. Like their uh, their deaths are their deaths. It's not like. You know, when every time Batman dies, he comes back. When every time Superman dies, he comes back. It's not like that. In this universe, I mean, death is death is to death. To be fair, look, okay, look. They've only died once each. Well, Superman and Batman. Yeah, Batman's only died once and Superman's only died once. All the other times, they've been fake deaths. They haven't actually died. It's like, no, Superman and Batman have only died once. Feel, and they came back. I feel like Superman has still... died way more than once. I mean, I think they've done the story of, of Doomsday and Superman dying a few times, but he's only actually died once. What about the Blackest Night story arc, though? They all died again in that one. Ah, see, that doesn't... Uh, I don't know. Blackest Night's a whole... Th- I mean, we can get into DC if we really want. Yeah, let's get into DC. All right. So Blackest Night, I mean, he dies and he comes back as the rage zombie that they all do, but that's because he's already died once. All the heroes who come back as the zombies are because they're they're dead. They their life force is basically still going in this corpse. And that's what the Black Lantern rings are able to to do with Necron and the Black Hand and the whole whole thing. And the fact that Batman is not there is a kind of a sign saying, but he didn't actually die. But they they dug up the Batman skull and everything and it was a big super important thing of the Blackest Night thing was the but the skull of Batman. Yeah, it's there's so many things going on with Blackest Night and Green Lantern. Yeah, I, I stop paying attention. I mean, after I, I, that, I, mean I read it and I didn't understand it after reading it, but you know, whatever. I guess. But the the the, the key point that I'm making here is that there is permanency uh, to death yes. in the universe of Invincible. You know, um, so which it, I think is something that really should play a role more in role playing games because I think Dungeons and Dragons is kind of a key one that death is not cheap but it actually relies on the dungeon master and the world to go no no you can't use revivify no you can't use resurrect spells i want death to mean something mm-hmm. and superhero comics are pretty much the one to blame for all of this that you know death is cheap that i'm just gonna come back i'll pop back in i'm, I'm an x-man i actually come back with more powers generally and I feel that there are other role-playing games like Call of Cthulhu and a few other things where where you die and dying is serious, that you don't get to, to come back. And I think that's something that this 
does really well. And it's something that people should kind of take away that feeling of losing a hero that you were expecting to really enjoy. That's really powerful. And I think it's something that you can bring into games pretty easily. 100%. And um, it's also rather powerful. And, you know, going back to the, you know, the character of Mark as Invincible coming to terms with his own mortality. Um, he attempted to save a whole lot of people in the early stages of this yeah. episode. And... Um, yeah. You know, and and I, I, you know, I mean, I wanted, I was, I was about to go on and say the word he failed, but you know, I don't know if it really, I don't know if fail is the right word, but when he attempted to save a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people still died. A bunch of people even died in his hands as he was watching, and um, yeah, you know, one particular incident when he tried to zero in and focus on saving an old woman, and he had the old woman in his hands, and you know, she was bleeding out while he was um, sitting there trying to save her. And uh, for the entirety of that fight, the um, you know the younger superhero team, uh, they you know they show up and they start fighting. And for the entirety of the fight, he's just sitting there staring at this old woman that's bleeding out in front of him. Um, you know, not you know he he just kind of gives up on the fight and he's zeroed in. You know, uh, he's got tunnel vision on just this little old lady that's dying in his hands, and uh, he find and he either chooses not to. Or, uh, engage in the fight anymore or he finds himself unable to engage in the fight anymore as uh as the impact of what he of what's happening to him really kind of sinks in you know yeah and i think previous to this when he's been off being a superhero it hasn't really been anything like this it hasn't been alien invasions it's been dealing with bank robbers it's been dealing with a guy with a laser arm it's kind of natural disaster stuff for this universe. I think the only times we've seen him really do anything so far was once when he stopped a bank, or he, he caught bank robbers after they'd already escaped, or after they'd already robbed the bank. And then there's a guy who's just kind of firing off a laser beam at buildings and cops, and he just comes in and wails on the guy until he surrenders. And it's like, that's the traditional superhero thing, but we're not getting the reality of it. And this is when Mark has to face up to that reality that people die and things that he do- does has has uh, consequences mm-hmm. and after this happens there's a little bit of a uh a journey of you know self-discovery and learning what this all means and he's got to make his decisions about what this is going to mean to him and what happens next and then the aliens attack again. Yep, that's great. It's like aliens just show up in, well, it's not really Times Square, it's like a big plaza. And the aliens show up and they're blasting people apart and they fight them off and that's okay and they beat them. Oh, that's right, they um, they realize that the aliens just kind of flee. They don't even beat them. The aliens have to run away, mm-hmm. which is kind of the the overarching fight plot of this episode and a very but a very relevant when... uh fact to this as well is that the um the all-powerful omni-man mark's father is yeah. currently in a coma omni-man um while all this is happening yes. there's no daddy coming to save him um so you know well not in the first not in the first battle no no not in the second one either well in the second one i'm pretty i can't remember i'll check my notes but i'm pretty certain in the second one he's awake but not able to do anything yeah yeah so still not coming to the rescue um yeah no no he's not coming to the rescue but it's kind of an allegory for life in in general life and responsibility uh you know because it's it's a it, it is a true fact of life that we have to deal with is that it's pretty easy i mean for most of us for most of us, there's a lot of people with a lot of a lot more a lot of, a lot of people with a lot of very different stories out there. But for most of us, we have the privilege of having guardians, whether they're parents or whether they're other forms of family, or uh, you know, foster, or guardians foster parents, of the globe, or guardians of the globe, you know, that are uh, you know that are there to to watch over and to care for us and protect us. And then we grow up, and eventually we have to take on you know, the responsibilities of adulthood and, you know, get out from under our guardian's wings and, you know, begin to make a life for ourselves and we realise just how fucking hard it is. 
and um, <laughs> you know that's a that's a struggle that we all have to face and that we all have to come to terms with and get through. And uh, one of the things that we also have to accept generally is that it just never does get easier. It only ever gets harder as the years roll by. And uh, you know our um, our responsibilities increase, and uh, you know our support network in terms of family and guardians. You know that support network always uh, you know diminishes um, until you know for a lot of us out there. You know until we you know until we if we if we're lucky enough to find a significant other to share the burden. A lot of us are facing that solo. Mark found out what it is to try and face that shit solo, and it was just too fucking hard. Uh, in his first experience of that, um, then what? What a great allegory for life! I feel like uh, you know the story that this episode kind of told. Are you okay, bro? I'm okay. It's not even are you okay day, but I appreciate okay. you asking. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I should check in. It's good to check in on your mates. <laughs> it is. Uh, this is the first time that Mark has to face something like this all by himself, and he realizes that he is completely wanting. He cannot live up to that that ideal. He is not ready yet. And I think it's really telling that this is when we get introduced to the teen team in that first battle, that we get introduced to these other heroes about Mark's age who have been doing it for a little bit longer, who have had these powers and do work together as a, as a unit and do have that support network. And I think it very interesting that probably the first one we get introduced to is Adam Eve, um, played by the amazing uh, Gillian, Gillian Jacobs uh, from Community and a whole bunch of other stuff, who's just, just fantastic in, in general. But she's going to go on her own journey through these episodes as well. And she's going to learn a lot of the same stuff that Mark needs to learn too. Not specifically this episode, but I feel that everyone's kind of going through their, the same story, but doing it at different ways and different times. Mm. Uh, and that's that's just really interesting that you bring up about the support network because we do see that these people have their own network. They've got their own little codes. They've, they have each other's back. And it's because they're working as a team that they're able to overcome the aliens a couple of times. Mm-hmm. No, let's go through the, who is in the team team. Teen Team. Oh my God, that's the worst name. It is the worst name. It's not as bad as Fight Force. <laughs> Man, fuck Fight Force. <laughs> fuck Fight Force. But we were introduced to um, Adam Eve, as I mentioned. We've got Robot. As you can guess, he is a robot. Wait, what? Oh. <laughs> uh, we get Rexplode. Oh my God, Rexplode. I have so much to say on Rexplode. <laughs> he's kind of He's kind of like gambit but without all the cool <laughs> yeah he's he's the worst honestly rex is just a fucking tool yeah he throws things that explode and he's just a total dickhead like that's basically yeah. rex blow <laughs> that's basically his entire personality yeah i'm not exactly sure what eve sees in him because they are dating but okay how do you feel about the team what do you think of them when they first came in so i i already felt like Adam Eve was going to be something special for the uh, for the show already because there's been uh, she's been involved in Mark's character arc external to these battles already. You know she's a schoolmate yeah. of his. She you know she's in the same year at school or whatnot. Yeah, and um, same age range, you know, same sort of style. Yeah, yeah, spot on. And uh, you can also tell, you know, just by, you know, the choices that the director and the screenwriters made, you know, she obviously got a fair bit more screen time and a lot more focus than the other characters. So when the the team first got introduced, I kind of felt like, you know, they're a little bit of a, um, they're a cookie cutter, kind of, you know, hashed together or thrown together assemblement of superheroes that are... um, they're a plot device more than individual characters unto themselves almost. Um, I think they are. That was stage, my yeah. first impression. Yeah. yeah. That was my very first impression. And that, you know, that impression changes as, as the episodes went on. Um, I will say, I certainly feel like duplicate in particular is a, is a narrative device because they've kind of kicked up the stakes in this episode. This is where we start to see civilians popping like zits when they get shot by the, yeah. the lasers and we start to see blood everywhere. It feels like duplicates power is to just kind of duplicate. She turns into 
like there's one original and then a second one appears and then a third one appears and they've got little numbers on them so they know which one's which. But all of them get killed. As soon as one of them pops up, they get shot. And it's a little bit like Duplicate moves out of the way so she keeps surviving, but it does feel a little bit like an excuse, like, hey, we can kill a character and it can be gory, but the character gets to live. And that that feels like it's really diminishing what we were talking about earlier, where death means something. Definitely. But that, that's probably... Um... And you know what? I'm going to do this a little bit earlier than one might expect. But, you know, I want to raise Duplicate right now as my favorite character from this episode. Oh, yeah. The one that you'd make into a a player character or NPC for your game. Sure, totally. Um, And, you know, the reason that that Duplicate is my favorite character from this episode um is because from a uh visual or in or in you know an action scene perspective i really really like uh the way that they did the uh multiple man kind of effect you know in every other single instance where i've seen uh this kind of a character or this kind of a superpower be used uh it it has always been as simple as you know, the, the screen blinks or, you know, there's a fancy ripple effect of the camera and then all of a sudden there's 10 or 50 or however many clones of the original uh, are floating around and then they just all go off and they have 50 different fight scenes or fight 50 different enemies, whatever. Um, but this one I felt was done in such a different way, such a unique way that I, um, I really, really fucking loved it. You know, the, the laser blast would come out and it would hit duplicate, but at the last split second, she would duplicate herself back out of it and a clone would take the hit. And, um, you know, that sort of um, that sort of usage of the duplicate ability where she wasn't so much using it as just the way of, let's make 50 of me, let's, let's go Naruto um, hmm. and just do like the shadow clone thing and just have 500 Naruto's going out there and being killer army army and ninjas or whatever it's just like nah she's using it smartly and effectively and it's all and it seems to be used most effectively when it's like a a split microsecond saving her from certain death like from incoming lasers um or you know stabbing weapons and stuff like that and uh i just think that visually and from an from an action scene choreography uh, perspective almost I um I really really loved the way that the uh the duplicate ability was used, you know. Yeah, I think it it does look really cool. It almost feels like I don't know if this is really accurate. It feels like a scene in a let's say a Jackie Chan film where he's wearing six hundred coats, and every time someone grabs him, one of the coats comes off, and he just like does oh, all yes. these flips. And like he kind of twists and the coat comes off and someone else attacks him and the coat comes off. And I think the coat actually is probably more more important in this than the Jackie Chan thing because I feel that it's just kind of the flips and, and twists that kind of strike that that um, chord with me. But it is that every time someone grabs, someone attacks, it's another it's another skin, another something else. It's how, for D&D terms, that's how I expect mirror image or um, a couple of spells like that to work. Hey, I got a got a question. Got a question yeah. for you, Jeremy. Who do you think would win in the fight, Omni Man or Jackie Chan, minding his own business Ooh. in an antique warehouse while looking after a baby? Ooh, that is a tough one. All right, see, if we're talking about actually winning the fight, I'm going to say Omni Man because Omni Man can, you know crush a dude's head with his hands and doesn't seem phrased about it. If we're talking about keeping someone busy enough until he gets the baby away, then yeah, Jackie Chan's got him beat. Viewers, listeners, even, let us know what you think in the comments. Who do you think could win? Omni-Man or Jackie Chan minding his own business in an antique warehouse looking after a baby? I mean, I think the baby's going to win that because they get to watch it. That's really the winner in this situation. Personally, I don't think Omni Man. I don't even think it has a fighting chance, dude. I mean, Jackie Chan yeah. with those with those odds, Jackie Chan's got it, man. Sorry, we we um, did see in the last episode that Omni Man actually has a problem with speedsters. That if they're able to to get a, a gr- jump on him, um, then he's able to. He doesn't really do that well, and Jackie Chan's pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's bloody quick. 
Um, I love, I love how quickly other. this podcast has devolved into who would win in a fight, into classic comic book style, as it should have. Oh, for sure. I'm surprised it took us this long, but I, I'm in for it. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, we've gone over Adam Eve, we've gone over Duplicate. Yeah. Robot gone over Rex. Is a, robot. Yeah, robot is a robot. We'll point out that Robot is voiced by Zachary Quinto, and it is fantastic casting. I think you didn't even register the first time nope. you watched through. Never picked it. Zachary Quinto did not pick it. No, it is so well done. He sounds like a robot. It's just this very cold. Well, it sounds like Spock. It feels like that's what mm-hmm. it is. It's this cold, logical, I guess, calculation of, of the alien weaknesses and kind of figuring out, no, no, you need to be here and guarding those people. You need to be over there. It's really directing the team of where to go before it almost happens. Eve, two and a half seconds after this sentence, three enemy tanks will align 50 degrees to your right. I got it. And the tanks are there. He was right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really well done. And then in the second invasion, when the, the aliens show up again, they've now developed, like, their first time, they kind of got the team on the ropes and they're like, cool, we're, we're not doing so great. And then the aliens just start dying. And they're not sure why. It's because they move at a accelerated rate because they're... Oh, sorry. They, their universe goes much... It's, it's hard to tell. Does it go slower or does it go faster? It feels like it goes faster. So when they no, come to we, our we, universe... We go... I feel like we go faster. And that's why when they come here... Yeah, that sounds all right. All those years by really, really quick. Um, yeah. So like te- temporal displacement. Yeah. Um, because they came into our universe all of a sudden they get really old really really quick and they weren't ready for that and that is why they lost the first attack was because yeah. they uh they all started decomposing like in the middle of the fight and they decided to fuck this and they got out so when they return for the second fight they've got these little wristbands that protect them from from decomposing and again they get the team on the ropes and this time mark's a little bit better about it he shows up and he's he's doing a pretty good job uh however He's still, they're still getting their asses kicked until Robot figures out, hey, this is the frequency we need to destroy the wristbands at. And they destroy the wristbands and they win again for the day. But again, mm-hmm. it's Robot that's kind of leading the charge. Everyone else is sort of, I guess, the the pincers for Robot's direction. Mm-hmm. So there definitely is a, um, a leadership uh, dynamic uh, brought in there with Robot instructing everybody else. Yeah. And um, Rex is also there. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from, you know, the the writers or the voice actor for the Rexploit character or anything, but... Um, Who is amazing. Yeah, just, he's, he's, <laughs> he's fantastic. But he, he's definitely just there. Like, Rexploit is just there. Um, yeah. You know, Rex he, is, he's all attitude, but he, he's, he's, comic he's relief. all no substance, and his style yeah. is questionable, even... <laughs> Um, but you, you know how every every one team has got to have a dickhead. Like every single yeah. team has got to have a, have a jerk or a, or an anti-hero or something like that. Like um, I feel like you know he kind of fits that role. You know he, um, he he's the one that comes in with a bad attitude or the arrogance, and uh, you know he's the first one to mouth off or um, you know get pessimistic and whatnot. He kind of fits fits that um, fits that uh, niche. And uh, I feel like he could probably do with um, a bit more talent to match his arrogance, personally. Um, yeah, but then again, fair. you know, this this series is nothing but an exercise in uh, character flaws and, uh, you know, the things that make us less... or the things that make the characters less than perfect, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, actually, I feel this is kind of a character flaw because Mark's issue not issues with girls but his um his focus on girls shall we say like in the the second fight he has a bit of a a, he sees eve's got a problem and he kind of breaks free and does a little sonic boom and and like a whole thing he hulks he hulks he he has that whole damsel in distress syndrome yeah yeah he's got a bit of a damsel in distress syndrome that he well this is what we saw in the last episode too when he saw amber getting accosted by a guy um at the high school and he's like i'm gonna go over and say something it's like well yeah but then you got your ass kicked and this time he's actually got the power to do something about it 
and he gets so into beating the crap out of them that he forgets to actually save Amber. Not Am- not Amber, save Eve in this case. Um, because she's got like one of these weird little squiddy alien things on her face, which is cutting off her hair. Mark's too busy fighting things to actually remember, oh yeah, she needs to breathe. She needs to be saved, actually. Um, which is not really conducive to teamwork for him. Um I feel mm-hmm. that it's a bit of a flaw for Mark that this is something that he'll keep doing. And I think we'll see it throughout the series that Mark's got a bit of a problem when it comes to working with other people and actually figuring out what other people need. He's not the best at it. Mm. And I have also, you know, again, um, a reminder for our listeners that I have not read any Invincible comics. So this is purely conjecture. Uh, but I do wonder if, you know, the fact that, you know, Mark is... In, in this episode, it's shown that Mark's not a very good team player. Not not yeah. because well, he was I'm... disagreeable or anything like that, but mainly he's because he just doesn't really know what he's doing yet. Yeah, he, he just doesn't really know what he's doing yet. And, and yeah. you know, as a result, that means he's not part of the uh, the the well-practiced unit or the, or the well-oiled machine that the superhero team already was. Um, and I wonder, and again, purely conjecture, being the son of the most powerful superhero on earth and being destined to become the most powerful superhero on earth. I wonder if that is ever actually going to become a, a, like an element of his psyche where is he ever going to be a problematic person, you know, not be a good team player because he's going to come to accept the fact that he's going to be stronger and better and faster than everybody else and whatnot. So why would he ever need to be a good team player when he's going to be that much better than everybody? He, he knows his dad never joined the Guardians of the Globe and his dad was still, you know, hailed as the strongest superhero that there had ever been. I wonder if that's ever going to cause problems for him later on down the track if he's ever uh, asked or expected to be part of a team or to follow somebody's orders or instructions or something. I mean, it feels like you're just dangling a fish hook and a fish hook in front of me for me to take that bait, and I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, well, we're all going to find out eventually in the show. We will. Or, you know, will for those of us that are inspired out. to go and get the comics, you know. You should be. They are great comics. If you're happy to read basically 12 years worth of comics, and they are they're basically soap operas, which Robert Kirkman does so well. It's amazing. Something about the way he writes it is... Nothing seems to happen, and then you're at the end of the book, and you're like, everything happened in this. That We are so far along from where we started, but all I've had is, like, four scenes of people talking. Like, what the, mm-hmm. what the hell? I don't know how he does it. It is fantastic. I mean, even watching these episodes, there's some where I'm like, yeah, nothing really happened in this episode. I mean, particularly this one, we have three alien invasions. We have Mark meeting Eve. We've got Nolan waking up from his coma. We've got, like, kind of the fallout. And it feels like a very slow, progressive episode. But so much stuff changes between this one and the last one. Mm-hmm. It's like we're quite a, a ways along. And was it this episode that we were introduced to Cecil? Yes, this is the episode where we were introduced to Cecil. I don't know. It's Cecil. Yeah. I say Cecil. You say Cecil. The show always calls him Cecil. And I don't Sorry, know why. Maybe Cecil. This is, we're going to call him Cecil, I guess. I will make a conscious effort. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, head of the Global Defense Agency, who basically used to run the Guardians of the Globe. Uh, and we're actually introduced to him. This is the creepiest thing. This is kind of the second part of those three that I think we were talking about earlier. That, or actually still part of the, the fallout from the Guardians being murdered that the, the Global Defense Agency shows up at Guardians HQ and they're like picking up the bodies and they're trying to work out, can we save anyone? Oh my God, Omni-Man's still alive. What happened here? But there's this element of we're just regular people and these were gods and they're dead. And Cecil is kind of, it's not quite sure what his role is. He seems to be in charge of everything, but he's not like a member of the government or anything like that. But he's a fucking badass. Mm-hmm. And he got a big old scar on his face that is not yet explained, but I'm sure there's yeah. a, an awesome story behind that scar on his face that we'll eventually find out. It was the cat. Yeah, I bet. Cecil just also um, just fucking teleports everywhere. 
Like, I know, I, I love that, it. I, I, I thought that was the superhero ability of his. No. Until, like, several episodes later, we find out that all these agents are wearing teleport bracelets or watches. Fair enough. But, like, for the longest time, I just thought that was his, because I didn't see anybody else teleporting, like, ever. Or if I did, it didn't register. And I thought he's... that his superpower was that he teleports everywhere. And it's like, you cheeky bastard. He's so heavily based on Nick Fury. It's just not even funny. I'm pretty certain that there's an Ultimate X-Men series where Nick Fury shows up and he does pretty much everything that Cecil does. That he just kind of teleports in and it's like, cool, I'm here now. And then he teleports out. And it's like, yeah, of course. He's he's the secret agent man. He's the, the head of the shady defense network that you don't really know much about, but he's all into espionage and things. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, Cecil shows up and we see a bit of him that he is... He's more suspicious about um, what happened with the Guardians than anyone else. Everyone else is just like, oh my God, what actually happened? But he's already going like, what did happen? Nolan, you were there. What did, what occurred here? And mm-hmm. he's kind of suspicious about Nolan's response too. But he doesn't really voice him. He's just like, all right, cool. I guess I accept that and leaves. But he's also like kind of goes to Mark and goes, look, your dad's your dad's out of it. Can can you step up and be a hero? Mm-hmm. And you know who else was? Uh, you know who else was really suspicious of Nolan? Oh, are we going to be talking about Damien Darkblood? Yep, Damien Darkblood. Fucking love Damien Darkblood. Not a Hellboy ripoff in any way. <laughs> no, sir. Not a definitely not the love child of John Constantine and Hellboy. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh my god, there's the fanfic that we didn't need. Please don't send art. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I saw something on Facebook that was really, uh, really interesting. No, it was on Reddit. Okay, but you've made it worse by saying it's on Reddit. <laughs> any any sequel to a movie. Any sequel to a movie that is done by a different director and producer and whatnot is really just very high budget fan fiction. Yeah. Kinda. <laughs> I don't know why I brought that up, but whatever. Every um, everything yeah, is fanfic. Uh, in, in this universe, every well not in this universe, everything is fanfic at one point or another. There's only seven stories and we just kind of slot the characters we like into it. But we'll get onto that another time. But yeah, Damien Darkblood, demon detective, cast out of hell so he can do he can solve justices and not save his soul, but certainly make up for a whole bunch of other stuff. He is investigating the murders too, and he has he's interested in what's happening. Uh, I love Damien Darkblood. I think he's one of the coolest characters. He looks the he looks like Columbo. It's not even John Constantine. He's got like this weird jumpsuit on underneath the trench coat but he's got the fedora he's got the massive trench coat he's got like a tail that swishes around he appears out of nowhere people can tell he's there because the temperature in the room drops and he just kind of like shows up in reflections and then suddenly he's there but that jumpsuit just looks so i don't even know it looks like this guy sitting on a porch in alabama just kind of scratching his gut as he's got the hay hay stem in his mouth and he watches the kids running across it's like what the hell? What the hell are you wearing, man? You're a demon. Have some style. There are three... Okay, so I said I already said Love Child of uh, John Constantine and Hellboy, but I can go one better. If Beel's, Beelzebub, mm-hmm. Cotton Eye Joe, oh, and Dick Tracy, and Dick Tracy, if all three <laughs> of them got together and somehow had a love child, it would totally be Damien Darkblood. Yes, he is. He is those those things to a T. I mean, he's a great character. I like that it feels like he's a legitimate concern for Nolan not getting caught. It feels like this guy is on to what's happening. He's like investigating the blood. He's feeling like he's he touches the blood and gets a sense of where it came from and who did it, what and what happened. But he doesn't get much more than a flash of oh, this person fell and the blood came out. He doesn't see who did it, but he knows there's something else here. He needs to keep investigating. And he's a great character. I think it's really interesting. This is, um, you know what? I'm not going to spoil the comics. I'm not even going to, for the stuff that we see, even in this show, I'm not going to mention what happens in the comics because you should go out and read them. He's a great character in the, in the comics too. I can't remember if this is the same style, but I suspect it is. 
What is really interesting, I think this will come up in the next episode when we actually see um, more about about the fallout. But these comics were written and published by Image. And that was when Image was kind of building their shared universe, expecting there to be something like uh, Marvel and DC. So a lot of existing Image characters that were really popular started showing up as background characters. Like, these are also heroes that exist in this universe. So we see people like Savage Dragon, and I'm pretty certain there's a couple of others. The same thing happened with Powers, the Brian Michael Bendis, um, one that he used to write for Image until he uh, signed exclusively with Marvel for a while. And so there's this odd element of these characters have crossed over with um, with all these existing properties before. And you're like, well, where are they? Where the hell is this other one that should be showing up? That's just a complete side thing. It's like, where's the Damien Darkblood series is my point. <laughs> Why aren't we getting all the times that he saves the day and solves crime? We need the Damien Darkblood series. He would truly be the world's greatest detective. Given how much I'm, I'm gushing over him, you'd think he'd be my favorite character, but he's not. We'll get to my favorite character in a little bit. Actually, I'll go one better. Maybe, maybe he's not the world's greatest detective, but he's hell's greatest detective. There it is. There it is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he does investigate a little bit more about about what, I guess, what happened, um, and the fact that he, he is suspicious mm-hmm. about it. We actually see that this is when we get the post credit scene that he's investigated and he finds out that it was someone in that room. Someone in that room killed all the others. He's not sure whether it was one of the Guardians and Nolan was the only one to survive or whether it was Nolan, but chances are it was Nolan. Because Nolan's mm-hmm. Nolan's all like, no, the lights went out and I didn't see who hit us, but I, I just kind of hit him back. It's like, yeah, way to be mm-hmm. suspicious, Nolan. And even when Nolan gets up, he's um, he wants his costume back. He's like, I don't care if it's classified. Just give me my fucking costume. Go and get it. He's like really mean to the nurse. Hey, I need my costume back. I don't care how torn up it is. It's classified and I want it back. Go get it. Now. Yeah, a bit fucking rude, eh, Noel? Yeah. Jeez, relax. You know, she just works here. Yeah. He has definitely felt like there's a, a tone shift from what we saw in the first episode. Like, he was kind of, not goofy, but he was a little bit like, I'm a professional and I, I do things good. And it's like, I'm just kind of caring for my family. But now suddenly there's a little bit of an edge to him. And it's not even just that he's, um, you know, a fucking murderer who we just killed, saw kill seven people. But he's he's got a little bit of meanness to him. Mm. And I think this ties in with... Yeah. This is something that I mentioned when we were talking about the first episode too, that Nolan and his relationship with Mark and Debbie are really key signs of an abusive family relationship. That he's really nice to them and everyone else he's just cruel to, almost. Mm. That he's got the people that he likes and everyone else is just a bit of a, a nothing to him. Insects. Yeah, and there's that element of at any moment he could just switch from, oh, I'm being happy and jovial and now I'm mean and I will hurt you. And it's just, yeah, he's so mm. fucking creepy. There's so, the the performance is amazing. It's, I want to call him J. Jonah Jemison performing as Nolan. But it's not, it's J.K. Simmons who, uh, who performs as Nolan. It is, um, for a character who's barely in this episode, like he spends half of it in a coma. Like as a not as a plot device, but certainly as this this element. But we do kind of see that human side that he's had the shit kicked out of him at the start of the episode, and he's in a coma. Mm-hmm. That the Guardians really took a toll on him. He's supposedly the most powerful man in the universe or in the in the world, and seven of these heroes nearly took him down. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's but he kind of- definitely he definitely did steal. Uh, he definitely did steal the show. Uh, oh yeah! This episode when he makes his grand re-entrance. Yes, his his final as um, the aliens return for a third time, and mm-hmm. he's and uh, as they're going towards the battle, <laughs> robots just like he scans the uh, he scans the enemy force. He's just like, yep, no, nah, can't beat him. Time to nuke the city. I have bad news. Robot's got bad news, everybody. Did you hear that? Hey, robot, 
What's the bad news? There are too many of them. Their technology has advanced too far, and they've rendered themselves immune to our time stream. We should consider the city lost. I will contact Cecil and suggest a nuclear response. What? No! Yeah, I love that. It's so great. And everyone else is like, um, no? How about, what the fuck? How about we don't do that? Jeez, robot, what the hell? And yeah, that's kind of the other side. We're gonna, gonna make us give up that easy? Who do you think we are, Fight Force? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. It's such such raggy on Fight Force. We, we I think we see a little bit in the next episode. But then, okay, so the, the team team getting their asses kicked. They're just kind of fighting a losing battle. And then I think the tank just gets lifted off. And there's Omni-Man in this, like, glowing in the sun, saving Mark. And just like, yep, daddy's home. Wake up, boy. Yeah. Oh, it's so... Is it like, we're, we don't like Omni-Man at this stage. We know he is a murderer. But there is that element of, oh, yeah, now it's on. Now we've got our hero back. I want to say that this is a useful thing for D&D and for RPGs as well. It's kind of partly because it's part of the podcast that we talk about this stuff, but it's really useful for a game master who's thrown too much at a party that you've gone, cool, this would be awesome. Like, and then they roll really poorly or they have made bad decisions or they just, you know, bad at what they do. Or maybe you had too many strong monsters. You can have someone come in to save the day who will just go, nope, I am in charge now. I am the deus machina. Sorry about that, kids. You weren't good enough. But having that person there is so useful. And it doesn't... And to make it not feel like, well, the DM's just helping us out is really tricky. But when you can do it right, it feels like Omni-Man showing up like that. It's, um, it is a challenge to, to do that because in, in a D&D game, right, the... I mean, there will be exceptions, but in a D&D game, when, when a Deus Ex Machina or a MacGuffin comes along to save the party from certain death, that's really all it's there for. It's just, it's there to save them from certain death, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, it's just about making sure that those players get to take their characters into at least one more session, because, hmm. you know, seeing the characters die just be too sad and too unfair. And why, why should the campaign end there? So it, it's it's generally a very pure motive of let's just save the characters, right? That's what happens at the D and D table. Yeah, that's not what Omni Man did here. This was oh. not Omni Man's um, thing. He did not show up just purely altruistically to save the world and uh, protect his loved ones and all of that. No, sir. His motivations were quite different. It was well. I I love this because he shows up and it feels like Mark has just got Dad back that he's Nolan's back and he's at full power again. And it's really cool. And it's a, a superhero moment and they're defeating the aliens who are running back. And then Nolan grabs one of them and flies and they go into the portal and whoom, the portal closes and Nolan's gone again. And there's that element of, Oh shit, we just lost him again, but no, 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 no. He's on the other side of the portal and he has this fucking badass line. This is actually going to, uh, my favorite part of the episode oh hell yeah it's mine as well um yeah does that is it, is totally a hindsight factor knowing what we know after yeah. having watched the entire season um but in hindsight it's totally my favorite part of the episode um you know because he goes through the portal and everyone's just like, he, oh my gosh he's gone look at what mm -hmm. he did he saved us all he's a hero he's, gone. he's he the greatest what a hero! Meanwhile, on the other side, he is—he uh, shows up on the alien in the alien dimension on the alien home world, mm -hmm. and um, he looks down at all the aliens that have just seen him come through the portal, and he finds one of them to talk to, and he sp he speaks to them in his own language, I guess. I so I'm assuming they don't understand what he says, but he goes, "You don't seem to understand. Earth isn't yours to conquer, right?" And it's just. Oh my god, yeah. You realize that he's not protecting. Mm -hmm. And then you get a montage. You get a montage of him going around that planet and fucking murdering as many aliens as he can. He basically murders them all 
and uh, it takes him a while. He, he he doesn't get to do it very quickly. And you see that, like, after a while, he's got, like, a full beard on his face, not just the moustache. Yeah, like, it must have taken him months in real time for, um, you know, for, for him to, you know, kill all the aliens on that side because he has a full-growing beard by the time he gets out. Um, you know... Yeah, which he gets out by basically holding scientist aliens hostage forcing them to open a portal and once that it's open dropping a mountain on them mm-hmm. i thought they were the very last surviving ones it's as like, well i don't know if they were or not like i suppose that remains to be proven it feels but, um, I, it feels like they are it feels like he's kept these ones alive specifically so you can get me home and then you die too yeah so he yeah complete total um is there a word for killing off an entire race? Like, I mean, no extinction is race. Yeah, genocide. Now. Like, um, now genocide's not like a full race, is it? Genocide's just like a... Um... Genocide is a full race. Yeah. I mean, no, I'm talking about like humanity, I mean, it's pretty close. Not just the people that live in the neighboring province or whatever, but like... Well, all right. I would say that it it is more of an extinction level yeah. event. It feels like not only did he wipe out their civilization, knock them back to the stone age, he slaughtered at least 90% of their population and then do something to the world itself that it's almost not going to recover, that they cannot recover from Omni-Man's month, month long visit. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, it's fucking terrifying. You know, I love it. I think it's just this, Oh my God, you cannot stop. You do this not guy. mess with the mustache. You don't. You don't. When the beard started to come through, he's just like, "This isn't. This is going to ruin my look. I'm going to have to murder everyone mm-hmm. now." I mean, after having such a perfectly manicured moustache for so long, seeing it get out of control and not having a barber nearby handy to fix it, I mean, it would drive any superhero to a mur- to a murderous rage. I mean, I can almost empathise. Yeah, it's certainly not something that Superman had to deal with. There's, we're not even going to get into the moustache no. of actors of Justice League. And all those issues that, oh my God, that would have been so much cooler if it had been Omni-Man instead of Super... Anyway, I'm not good. We're not going to do crossovers. Yeah. That's not a thing we do here. If we if we start if we start talking about Justice League issues, it's going to be a long episode. So let's just skip. Yeah, let's, just, let's <laughs> skip. Well, this, speaking of just skipping things, I love that he kind of just shows up again. And before, I think it's even before we see him commit all this genocide, Mark goes back to Debbie. He goes back home to his mum and is like, dad's gone. He went through the portal. It's like, he's not going to be back. And she's like, oh, so he's going to be late for dinner? I thought it it was like, there was no problems. When he was injured in a coma, I'd never seen him before. He goes through portals all the time. Remember that time he got trapped under a mountain for a week? It's like, what the? It's like, he's just a weird superhero guy who does all this weird superhero stuff. And she's just not concerned at all. And it literally feels like maybe 10 minutes after that, he walks in with the beard and he's like, oh, cool. What's for dinner? as he's just finished murdering the entire population of this other dimension. Yeah, I remember he's like, man, I need a shower. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, just, I just need a shower. I'll be fine. And again, that comes into this this abusive thing that he's he's able to turn on a dime. As soon as he's back home and with the people he likes, it's like, no, no, I didn't do any of that stuff. I'm fine. I just need a shower. I'm going to be okay. It's like, oh, it's so well done. This is this is why it's my favorite scene. Well, actually, you know what? It's my favorite scene, but there is a close second. There's a very close second, and this mm-hmm. is going to tie in with my my favorite character, the one I think will work really well for for a, an NPC in the episode, because this happens. It's kind of almost like mm-hmm. if anyone knows the term "big lipped alligator moment," which comes from the film "All Dogs Go to Heaven," where. I don't know that. Okay, I'll explain. I haven't seen that movie. I'll explain it for you and for other people. I'm, uh, I'm uneducated. There's a, there's a scene in All Dogs Go to Heaven where it's a musical number with an alligator with these massive lips. It comes out of nowhere. It is never mentioned again. And it's just it feels like it's just there to fill time. Alligator with massive lips? Yeah, yeah. Basically the big-lipped alligator. There's a few other terms for it as well, but that's the one I know. And... In this one, I mean, it kind of does have a purpose because when Nolan's recovering from the coma, Mark comes home um, and Cecil's there and kind of saying, look, this this guy's not stopping. He's going to he's gonna be here in like 10 minutes. Nolan, you've got to help. And Mark's like, "What what's going on? But Nolan's still sick. Debbie can't. Debbie's like, no, no, he doesn't get to go. And Mark's like, well, I'll do it. What have I got to do? And it turns out this 
guy, this alien, is heading towards Earth. Um, and he's basically just got to stop him because apparently he's been there before and it's it's something that Nolan has done before. What we get is my favourite scene in possibly the entire Invincible run. I mean, I love all these other things for other reasons, but this scene with this alien and this fight scene is amazing. Particularly because he's just kind of, Mark's just kind of floating in space and we see this alien fly behind him, this big orange dude with one eye. And then he attacks and basically we hear in Mark's head, Hey, you're early. Amped, you shaved your mustache. Stay away from my planet. And this is where we get to meet Alan the alien, who is my favorite character forever. He is pretty cool. He's so fun because it's this punch up between the two of them. And Mark's kind of figuring out gravity works differently in space. And you've got to figure out where things are behind you. And you can't just punch someone and expect them to hit things because there's nothing there in space. Eventually, they'll just kind of recover and come back at you. But halfway through the fight, Mark's just like, I don't even know what's going on. He's like, oh, wait, do you want to use your timeout? Okay, cool. We'll use a timeout. And they kind of sit down and just have this conversation about why Alan's even there. Are you using your timeout? Get time out? Why did I get time out? Hey, I didn't invent the rules. What rules? I don't even know who you are. Oh, you don't? All right. Um, I'm an evaluation officer for the Coalition of Planets. I drop by little dirt balls like yours to make sure there's someone capable of defending them against, you know, planet conquering monsters, things of that nature. I literally have no idea what any of that means. Well, I don't know what to tell you, man. Your planet signed up for the program. See? Request from Urath for evaluation. Urath? This is Earth! Earth. Yes! Not Urath. No! Is that with an E or a U? E! Oh, I'm in so much trouble. Well, thanks for letting me know. I'm Alan, by the way. Invincible. Oh, yeah? Little optimistic, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I just fought you, and I think you're quite invincible. Okay, well, as long as I don't get fired, I'll see you around, Invincible. Sorry about all the... Does that line of, oh, I'm going to be in so much trouble, because he's picked the wrong planet to be going and checking on for the last five years. It's like, Mm. Alan is this this joy just this wonderful wonderful character and i i love him as an idea of a an npc in a role-playing game because it feels like he's just this guy you know he's just this guy doing his job mm-hmm. yeah he just kind of he has this task that is uh, i was just gonna say he also comes in with such a cheerful and jovial attitude yeah and um you know it's such a friendly guy after you get past the whole First thing he does when he shows up is punch Mark in the face. Yeah, well, he, this is part of the job. That there's a guy here who's protecting the planet. I got to make sure he's strong enough, so I'm going to punch him in the face because everyone knows what's going on here. And I love that idea of somebody that the party comes across who has the same power level as them and is not a rival. Someone who's able to go toe to toe with them or doesn't that they can hate if they want, but is just like, yeah, this is just what we do. We're adventurers, right? We, this how great is this job and is really cheery about it all and kind of can give them information mm-hmm. when they need it he can be the npc that they're like well i guess we've got to go talk to alan again it's gonna we're gonna have to be like suck up our pride and go talk with alan and alan's like yeah great guys it's you know what it is for those who have seen bojack horseman he is the mr peanut butter he is just this incredibly enthusiastic person who's like i just want to help i'm here to to do my job it's it's really cool i like you guys you're great and it's so much, it's so much, but even maybe even not, he's not equal power to the, to the player characters. He's a little bit above them. So if they do try to take him on, he's like, Oh guys, come on. We know what happened last time. I beat you up. Please don't do this again. All right. I guess I have to beat you up again. And that's the kind of character I like to throw in my games because that people will either love him or hate him, but they will remember him. Oh, a hundred percent. So yeah, that's my pick. That's the one I, I really love for this episode. When it comes to using things out of this episode in an RPG, yeah. um, I found that, I mean, you know, the, the duplicate I thought was really, really cool. And, you yeah. know, modifying her abilities to work in tabletop would be cool. But um, I kind of wanted to focus on the con- on a particular concept of something to use. 
from this episode on the tabletop, and that was basically the idea of a returning or recurring uh, villain. Yeah. Um, I think that's a cool that uh, cool that you know learns learns from all the defeats you know kind of mirroring the way the aliens showed up got whooped left came back got whooped left came back were unbeatable um, you know that kind of concept of a a villain that uh you know I, I, you know I've I've seen players go to great lengths to proper proper kill um, NPCs you know um, proper kill. Don't let him get away alive. Leave no chance of him getting away alive, right? Yeah. But when it happens, um, I really like that notion of a uh, of a returning villain that kind of levels up with the PCs, uh, so that they continually remain challenged. And usually, in most encounters, they should be more of a challenge than the last one. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, the recurring villains kind of get to know those heroes, and you know, get to know their strengths and their weaknesses and whatnot. And, uh, you know, much like the characters, you know, their entire lives are built around completing whatever quest or mission that, uh, the tabletop, that the tabletop game is focusing on. And, um, you know, the recurring villain whose entire life becomes about taking out the player characters. Yes, I love and, this. You know, persistence is key. You know, they keep coming back. Yeah, that this is what we see in the episode too, that in the first, the first invasion... Mark kind of hits one of the the aliens with a a tank, I think. He hits him with something and kind of scars his eye. And this becomes the alien face. He becomes the alien leader. I don't know whether he was already, but he's the one that's like, no, no, we've got to go. We've got to target Mark because we know that guy. And I love that. That idea of your nemesis has returned. It's it's so cool. Because if you can throw something at a player who they recognize and they remember... Well, if they don't go, who's that guy? Do we know that guy? Because they do that a lot too. But no, I love that mm-hmm. idea. I think, it, and they will. They kind of progress with the party, and they'll get powerful. They'll have more history with them. They'll learn this didn't work last time, so I'm going to change up my tactics. It's it's so cool. Mm-hmm. I would never take it so far um, that you know a situation like the third alien attack where no. they just they're unbeatable until Omni Man shows up. Would never take it that far. Uh, but the that like you know challenge should always keep escalating, you know. Yeah, where do you think the good point to cap their nemesis would be? Do you make them the ultimate villain of a, a campaign, or do you have them be like a, a minor threat that just kind of sticks around for a very long time until you're finally like, you know what, we've had enough of this guy. This time he doesn't get away. This time we kill him. Yeah, I think there has to come a point. Realistically, right. The, the best villains and the most powerful villains, I think, there has to come a point where the players have to make a choice about whether that uh, that villain will continue to be a part of the world or not, you know? Yeah. Um, they can, they, you know, they can have situations where they choose whether or not to kill them or let them live um, or exile them or banish them or, uh, you know, a- any number of other things, right? Uh, but there has to come a point. You know, the villain will get capped when the players can reach a point where they actively make a decision of, yes, we are done with this guy. Let's do away with him or her or it, you know? Um, and then once the players have really made that choice, like if, if it's a recurring villain that has come back five times and they're just like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Let us decapitate him, quarter him, put a different limb on every side of the world and, like, you know, just do away with him entirely. It's just like, okay, I won't bring him back a sixth time. Fair enough. Or if it's a case of they make a case of, you know, listen, uh, you know, they we, we want to rehabilitate you and make you, you know, change from your evil ways and, you know, you can't keep doing what you're doing because it's only going to end in ruin and sadness and blah, blah, blah. And this is, we've, we've killed, we've fought you and beat you in combat five times. Now we're going to try and talk you out of it. It's just like, yeah, they're trying something different. They really want to be done with this guy. Okay, I won't bring you back a sixth time. Yeah. But the players will definitely, the players will be the big indicator of, um, you know, when it's time to, to you know, stop dusting off the recurring NPC. But yeah. I think I think you, got, you hit the nail exactly on the head there. I think that is about, you have a character that when the the party begins to take seriously, when they make the choice, we're not going to do the things, we're not going to do the plot that you put in front of us because we want to deal with that guy. This is part of our story now. 
This is a very important thing that we're focusing on and we're making that active choice to do something about it. That is if they've managed to survive that long. I feel that it's usually about the third time that the players will be like, no, no, they're dead this time. I'm just going to make sure of it. Or the power kind, the power creep of a player mm-hmm. group gets to the point where the villain just won't be able to escape for whatever reason. I mean, unless you plan it really well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I think you're right where it is that point where they make the choice to, to go after him. Yeah, for sure. I think we'll wrap the episode up there. There's a lot more stuff we could talk about, particularly with uh, Mark's relationship with Amber and Eve and the teen team and a whole bunch of other stuff. But that'll come up in future episodes too. So I don't see it being a huge issue for us not to cover now. We covered everything that works for RPGs, I feel. I think we had a good time. Did you have a good time, Mike? I had a brilliant time. Fantastic. I want to do it again. Well, we will. We'll do it again next week uh, where we can talk about episode three, Who You Call an Ugly. So if you want to watch along, get onto Amazon and um, or however you find your television and watch episode three. So in time for, for the next episode of uh, D&D and TV. But if you want to watch Mike, because Mike's a streamer. I don't know if you know. Hey, where can they, they watch you stream games, Mike? Oh, there's this uh, there's this little website, you know. It's in a in a rather obscure part of the internet. Like, not a lot of people know about it, but it's a, it's a website called Twitch. Uh, so I got a page on there. It's uh, Twitch.tv/slash Doctor underscore Chops. That's D R underscore C H O P S. Thanks for listening, everybody. I can't wait to talk about these episodes more because they just keep getting better and better. They really do. And Mike, could could you do me a favor? I like doing favors for my mates. That's good because I want you to be kind to yourself and I want everyone listening to be kind to themselves as well. Thank you so much. See you again next week. Bye.